thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Uh, Joel, or people are still moving around, getting their seats. Um, I'm going to do something different on the first Sunday of the new year. Typically, I would talk State of the Union on the first Sunday morning of the new year, talk about the state of the church. I would talk about our vision for the upcoming year. Every year, this is our 14th, we've been in church for 14 years, and I always look to God for something to focus on for the new year because I believe that uh, God is a God of seasons, of timing, of logic, of rational thinking. And I always pray in the month of December, God, what would you have me to focus on? What would you have our church to theme out for the new year? And it has been incredible the way God has responded um, and the people of God have responded to the themes as we've gone through these 14 years. And God gave me this theme early in the month of December, and I didn't tell anybody about it uh, other than my sister, who's our church administrator, um, until right now. So you're hearing it the same time everybody else is hearing it. And I want you to get it in your mind, and I want you to get it in your heart. I'm not going to preach on it this morning. I'm going to talk about it tonight. But the theme for 2016 is the year of freedom and answered prayer. You should be more happy about that. I don't do rhyming themes. That's too hokey. I don't really know that God's in all that. Um, I don't try to do numerology and add up numbers to get the theme. I literally do the theme the same way I do every message I preach. I lay before God and I ask God what he would have me to say. And I truly believe, just like I, I said last year, would be our greatest year yet. If you would do what God was calling you to do, you had the opportunity to have a great year. And many people, especially my own house, had the greatest year we've had um, in as long as I could remember. And we watched that play out. And I believe that 2016 is going to be a year where people can truly walk in freedom and where you can break away from some of the things that have held you back. I believe that people who are saved want to live saved lives. I believe that people who are saved want to be good, godly, loving, upright people. I believe that they don't want to be bound and struggling. I believe they don't want to be negative. I think they want to honor God with their life, but there's so much bondage in the church. And I know people that have been struggling for years trying to get free from stuff that really love the Lord, that are truly saved people, that have quiet times and they study. And I believe that we are going to see such a freedom in 2016 that if you'll keep hanging around. And somebody asked me one time about the theme, and they said, well, how, how can you know that what God is saying to you is going to impact our church? Well, the anointing flows down. The Bible says it, it, it starts at the top and flows down. Even as God poured the oil on Aaron's head and it fell through his beard and down his garments uh, and touched to everything that was touching it. And I'm excited for what God's going to do in this church, not only in the way of letting you get free from what's been holding you back from your true destiny, but also a year of answered prayer. Some of you have been around, Cindy's been around since the first day we started this church, and I've said it consistently. Those of you that have been here for years have heard me say it so many times. I believe as a church we need to pray more. And I've always, you know, said along with that, that's not just us, that's every church. That's Christians all around the world need to pray more. But I believe that God began to do something in the last year where we started seeing more and more answers to prayers. And nothing will fuel your prayer life more than answers to prayer. Because that will make you think, ooh, I ought to pray more. 
and get more answers. And I truly believe that we are going to see in 2016 an incredible freedom and an incredible amount of answered prayer. And I'm not going to preach on it this morning, but come back tonight and we are going to talk about that. I'm going to have two verses for the year that we're going to key on. Uh, John 8:32. These are familiar verses. Jesus said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, a lot of people know the truth. Jesus uh, know the truth, God's word, but everybody's not walking in all the freedom they want to. And we're going to find out in 2016 how to walk in that freedom. I'm excited about it. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, keep asking and it will be given you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. Too many people are asking and not getting. And so they stop praying. Too many people have prayed and not received, so they don't really value or think as highly about prayer as they ought to. But I promise you this, if you'll stick around through 2016, you come. Start coming to some Sunday night Bible studies when you can. Start coming to some Wednesday night Bible studies when you can where we really unfold some of this stuff. And I believe that you're going to see an incredible amount of an ability, say ability, to walk in freedom. Because like I said, I believe God's people truly want freedom. We just are being held back by some things that we need to break free from. And so that's the theme. The book of the month, if you haven't read yet, is Philippians. My, I want to start the year off my favorite book in the Bible. It's an incredible book, four short chapters. You can read it quickly. Do yourself a favor in 2016. Read the Bible. You don't have to read the Bible through all the way. If that's your goal, go ahead and do that. But if you just take a couple of minutes a day and put your eyes on God's Word and let God put something in your mind to start your day with and to end your day with, you're going to find out life is better that way. Can somebody say amen? amen. All right, we're going to go to the message now in Joel chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Blow the trumpet in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. I want to talk to you this morning from a sermon title, It's Time to Fast. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for your encouragement, God. Thank you so much for joy, for peace, for freedom, Lord. Thank you for your love for your people. I thank you for your book that gives us instruction. And I pray now as we look to your book that you would speak to us, God. Anoint my mouth and my mind to say what you would have me to say. Teach us today what you want us to know is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time to to fast. Now, this morning I want to talk to you about the practice of fasting. And um, let me say before I ever even get into it, I've studied church growth for over 30 years. I've been to conferences that talked about church growth for over 30 years. I've read hundreds of books about the church, about church growth, about church leadership, about church government. And I can tell you this, fasting has never been a topic of any of that stuff that I've been studying for 30 years. Of all the top 10 things that people want to talk about to grow a church, to encourage people in a church, fasting doesn't make the top 50. People don't like to fast. I wonder why. Because we're selfish by nature. Fasting is, by course, denying yourself something that you want, and who wants that? I mean, you don't have to teach people to be selfish. If you don't believe me, take a turn in the nursery. I don't know who was in the nursery today, but, but I heard Miss Carolyn say, no, let her play with it. It's her turn. And I'm thinking, man, you just do not have to teach them to mine, mine, mine. It's like those birds on Nemo. They, kids come out of the womb knowing how to say mine, mine, mine. And people don't, even growing up, denying ourselves, it's not a popular topic, but thank God at Abundant Life, we're not trying to be popular. We're trying to be biblical. Amen. All right? 
Fasting is important to God, so it should be important to us. Fasting is designed by God to be part of the life of every Christian, but so many Christians don't fast. Every year we set aside a time of 21 to 40 days to fast as a church. And we'll be coming up here from January 10th through the 31st. That's next Sunday night. We're going to start at 6 o'clock. We're going to go in the evening and the morning. So we'll start Sunday night. We'll fast through the next day. Then we'll go all the way through to the last day of the month, January 31st. And we'll come back here on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. And we'll have uh, Holy Communion. We'll take the Lord's Supper and break our fast that way. But every night... Throughout the week, Monday through the next Monday, we'll be here at 7 o'clock on our knees praying. No worship, no music. We'll have some soft music playing in the background. But if you've never been a part of a time of consecration, prayer, and fasting in our church, I want to ask you to come to at least one weeknight service. Come in here for one weeknight and pray with us for an hour. You don't pray out loud. We get alone. We spread out. Altar, chairs, moving around, however you want to do it. But it is an incredible time, and every time that we've had a 21-day consecration, time of prayer here, we have seen incredible things. We have seen miraculous things, and I want you to get involved in this. I've had people tell me it was the first time that ever prayed for an hour in their life, first time that ever really felt like they were connecting to God. You need to get around praying people. You need to get around people who can motivate and encourage you to go higher in Christ. I want us to look at our text, though, because everything a church does should be biblical. When people ask me what type of church abundant life is, I tell them it's a Bible church. But the problem with that is there are denominations called Bible churches that all teach the same thing. And if you want to know what we teach or what we believe, we teach and believe everything we find in this book. Why do we sing in church? Because the Bible says sing. Why do some people go as far as to lift their hands during praise and worship? Because the Bible says to lift your hands during praise and worship. Why do some people smile and act happy when they're in church? Because the Bible says rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Everything that we do, we have chapter and verse for as a church. And I want us to look at a portion of the scripture today that talks about fasting. I read to you verse 15, but I want to back up to verse 12. God's people are in a time of struggle. They're in a time of judgment. They're in a time of difficulty. They're in a time of great need. And I can tell you this, it's like the, the one poet said, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We are in now a very similar time as these people were thousands of years ago. And if we see what happened there and apply the right things now, we can have great things in our own life. If you do what others did, you can have what they, if you want what others have, you got to do what they did to get it. And because God never changes, we can know that if he did it that way for them, he'll do it that way for us. So let's start in verse 12 of Joel chapter 2. It's going to be Bible study, so you're going to have to listen and pay attention this morning. Verse 12 says, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and Morning. I want you to see the last sentence on the screen. It says, come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. How many things is that? Math majors in the room. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And we're going to talk a lot about that this month as we go through this fast. And most of it will probably be on Sunday and Wednesday night. So you need to be here and you need to learn how to be and do all that God's called you to be and do. But in the beginning of this verse... God says, turn to me now 
Why? While there's still time, while there is time, I want you to get in your head today. If you don't get anything else, I want you to get in your head that we have a limited amount of time on this earth. We have a limited amount of time on this earth, whether you whether this is your last year or you live another hundred years. Um, Somebody was talking to me this morning about someone in their family being 90 years old. That's a good long time to live. I've seen lots of reports that said every child in America that was born after the year 2000 is expected to live into 2100. They're pushing life expectancy back because, you know, eventually they're just going to be selling kidneys at Walmart, you know. Just walk through Walmart, buy lung, pop it, look, do a YouTube video, right? How do we fix anything in our house, guys? We watch, right? we watch a YouTube video. You want to change the door lock? You want to fix a water heater? Watch a YouTube video. They're going to be like, well, well, you need a new spleen? Pick one up at Walmart. Go home, watch a YouTube video. Lock that thing in. You're good for another 20 years. But no matter if you live to be 70, 80, 90, 100, 120 years, time is limited. Say limited. If you don't live with that reality, you are not going to accomplish everything that God could use you to accomplish. If you don't have a redeem the time mentality, if you don't have a this is the day the Lord has made and I need to make the best of it mentality, days are going to turn into weeks in your life and weeks are going to turn into years in your life. Years are going to turn into decades in your life and you're going to find yourself on your deathbed wondering where did all the time go? You're going to find yourself at the end of life wondering, how did I let it all slip away? You have to live every day on purpose. You have to live every day with a mindset of there is something that I can accomplish today. There's something that God can use me to do today. And God says, turn to me now. Say now. Too many people have allowed procrastination to be the theme of their life. I've heard one man say that uh, procrastination is, is the handiwork of the devil. It, it steals your time and it steals your dream. P- too many people are living in what I like to call going to do land. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to do. As soon as the new year comes, I'm going to do better. As, as soon as we get back on vacation, I'm going to do more. Once so-and-so moves out, I'm going to clean the back half of my house. Once the whole house gets moldy, I'm going to clean the bathroom. I mean, living in going to do land never gets anything done. And I want you to transition out of going to do, talking about what you're going to do, and start doing something now. Say now. God says to turn to me now. When's the right time to turn to God? Always. Now. Why? Because God is a right now God. Too many people are living off their old faith. Pastor, I used to teach. I used to do this. I used to do that. We need a right now faith for a right now God, and we need right now action. God said turn to me now while there is time. I talk to you guys a lot about how to understand the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, keys and principles that can help you. One of the principles that theologians use to study the Bible is the principle of inference. Everything that's not said can't be said. The Bible says of itself, if it wrote down everything just that Jesus did in his lifetime, there's not enough books in the world to fill up uh, to say what he did in his lifetime. So some things aren't said, they're inferred. Some things are inferred that don't come out in the writing, but when God says, turn to me now while there is time, can anybody guess what that's inferring? There's going to be an end of time. There's not always going to be time. We're not always going to have another five years. We're not always going to have another 20 years, but what we have is today. 
and we need to turn to God while there's still time. If you don't hear anything I say for the rest of the day, hear this. Take control of your life early in 2016. Don't wait till we start fasting next week to start praying. Don't wait till we start coming in here every night at 7 o'clock to start praying. Start praying now. Start reading your Bible now. Start being the best you now. Start being the man, the woman of God that God created you to be now. God says to do it while there is time. There's nobody in this room that knows how much time we have left. When they asked Jesus how much time the world had left, Jesus said only the Father knows that. We don't know how much time the world has left. Now, my kids and I talk about it a lot. I really hope it's soon. I hope Jesus comes. People ask me all the time, Pastor, do you really believe that Jesus is coming back? Yes, I do. They say, do you believe he's coming back in your lifetime? I tell them I'm surprised he hadn't come back already. I mean, how much worse can it really get? How much more destruction can we really do? How much more hatred can the world survive? Look at what the Bible says in the Old Testament. When the earth was filled with unrighteousness, God killed everybody but one dude and his family. When the earth, the Bible says the earth was filled and covered with unrighteousness, so God wiped it out and saved eight souls, Noah, his kids, and their wives. And the Bible says in the New Testament that in the end of time, it'll be just as it was in the days of Noah. What? That the earth would be filled with unrighteousness. You don't have to be a brain surgeon or a theologian to even watch the news to know the earth is filled with unrighteousness. Go ahead. Do something good. Put it on a YouTube video. See how many hits you get. Uh, you might get a few. If you got a big group of friends, you might get a couple. Tape somebody doing something horrible, violent, and vicious and see how quick that thing will go viral. The earth is filled with unrighteousness, and it's time for us to do something about it. I don't want you to let 2016 get away from you the way some people let 2015 get away from them. We've got to do something now. God said, turn to me now, and then he explains what he means by that by saying, give me your hearts. Give God your heart. Your heart right now, it's not talking about that thing beating in your chest. He's talking about give me your love, your desire, your attention. Let me set your agenda for you. Let me guide and direct you. Turn to me. He said, come this way, fasting, weeping, and mourning. That is not, I, I don't hear anybody talking about that. That's not a popular subject to talk about. Let's just all get together and cry together. Well, that doesn't sound like great fun, but the Bible says to weep with those who weep. The Bible says to comfort those who are in distress. Do you realize a lot of people need comforting right now? If you don't know people that are hurting, you don't know people. But God says come to him with fasting, with weeping, and mourning. We need to understand our time is limited. We got to turn this world to God while we still have time. And we need to do it with our hearts. Say hearts. With our whole hearts. Christianity is a wholehearted religion. That's why some people never get anything out of coming to church. That's why some people can literally come to church every time the doors are open, and if they'd be honest, they don't feel it like some of us feel it. They, they don't rejoice. They don't get it. It doesn't click with them. They keep showing up, and it doesn't click with them. Let me tell you why. Because you're not coming with your whole heart. God said, you will only find me when you search for me with your whole heart, he told Jeremiah. Christianity is a wholehearted religion. This isn't Brill Cream. It's not a little dabble, do you? This isn't just come on Sunday and live any kind of way on Monday. Christianity is a wholehearted religion, and that's why we have these times of consecration 
of fasting. We're going to come together, and we're going to be up here from 7 to 8 o'clock, and I want you to come as many times as you can. Very few people, based on schedule, will be able to come 21 days in a row. I get that. I understand that. But I want you to make it a priority this month to get involved in this fast. Fasting is, is something that Christians have done forever, but it's not popular in this generation. People don't do it but it is necessary. We need to come fasting for our need, weeping for our sin, and mourning for our situation. Fasting for our need, weeping for our sin, and mourning for our situation because there's a whole lot of things going on. If you say, well, Pastor, I don't, I don't even understand what our situation is. I don't know what our needs are. I'm going to give you some because everybody needs to understand what's happening. If you don't understand already, let me tell you, church in America is on decline. Not just the attendance, but, but the, the joy in church is on the decline. The worship in church is on the decline. The praise in church is on the decline. Let me hit you where you live. The money in church is on decline. Churches are shutting down because they can't pay their bills. Churches are merging with other churches because they can't pay their bills. There should never be a time where a church can't pay its bills because God always knows what he's doing. When the Bible says God owns everything, well, we can't throw our bucket up to God and let him fill it up. He told us to pass the plate on Sunday. The Bible says to bring 10%, bring a tenth of everything you bring in and bring it to church on the first day of the week that there can be enough stuff in the house of God to feed the community. We got a community with needs, y'all. We've got, and if we have enough money represented in this room, right, people are like, oh, man, I wish we'd get a couple millionaires in the church. We don't need a couple of millionaires in the church. People are like, oh, if we could just grow the church a little bigger, we could do all the things God gave us in our hearts to do. No, we could do everything God's called us to do if just the people in this room would give what God's told us to give. Can somebody say amen? This is not popular, but it's real. We, we've got to realize that church attendance, church morale, church Righteousness, holiness is on the decline in America. America's in bad shape. You don't have to agree with me. I'm right all by myself. America is in bad shape. I, I tell y'all all the time, I'm going to tell y'all again. When I was a little kid, I was seeing videos. I wasn't old enough to see it when he did it, but they were showing it a lot back then. What, what was that man, the variety talk show host? Uh, they talked real funny. Oh, well, dude had a, uh, a talent show. People came on it all the time. I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, he had Elvis Presley on his show. Somebody said something. Ed Sullivan, thank you. Ed, Ed Sullivan came on. They had Elvis Presley on, and they filmed him from the waist up, and it was controversial. They said he was too vulgar to be shown on live television. He was, his, his act was just too, too much writhing in his body. He held a guitar in front of his body and just did this with his leg. And they said, that's just too sexual to show on TV. You really don't want that crowd to watch MTV right about now. Don't, don't let them dare press VH1. And they're really going to get shot out on BET music videos. So, man, the stuff that we are putting in the face of children on TV 24-7 would have caused our grandparents' generation to freak out and throw TVs away. It would have caused our grandparents to lose their mind. And we just look at it like, hey, it's just the world, you know. It's the world. Yes, it is. it's the world that we live in, but the world we live in needs help. 
We have declined at such a fast level in the 52 years of my lifetime that it is, I don't believe we can continue on the same downward slope. If morality was here in my lifetime, it's gone straight there. And if we live another 50 years and it continues, it ain't got that much more to go to hit bottom. But we are in a troubled time. Church in America is on decline. Morality in America is on decline. You want to talk about what what we need, what issues are out there? People are broke. All the broke people didn't want to say amen. You know you're broke. Your rent man knows you're broke. Third, you still ain't paid rent. He knows you're broke. The car repo man knows you're broke. Why, why are people broke? Because we're living in a tough time. My, my kids were asking me about the economy. We were talking about the economy this past week. We were doing some traveling, and we were in Ocala, Florida. What a beautiful place Ocala, Florida is, especially to a, to a boy like me, grown up in Florida, North Florida, Jacksonville, born, raised on the west side of Jacksonville, flat as a pancake, right? All the land flat. Man, you take a Florida boy to Ocala, and it's like, Wow! That, that, that pasture had a hill on it. That looked pretty cool. And, but everywhere we looked this week in Ocala for sale signs on giant horse farms. Ocala was the horse breeding capital of the world 15 years ago. But when the recession hit in 2008 and those rich dudes lost all their money in the stock market, they had to give those farms up. And so my kids were talking about recession, depression, and e- economics. I want you to know. Whatever they tell you on TV is happening with the economy, people are still struggling. Whatever politician is wanting to say that they're doing good, they're going to try to build the economy up. The other side's going to try to say it's bad. It's hilarious. You can watch one politician come on and talk about how bad the economy is because he wants, he wants the guy in office out. You have another politician come on a half hour later, talk about how good the economy is because he wants to stay elected. Listen. I don't care what they say on TV. I deal with real people in the real world every day, and people are hurting financially. People are struggling financially. That's why I don't get caught up in politics. That's why I don't care, Democrat, Republican, uh, Independent, Tea Party. I don't care who gets elected. My hope is not in the next president of the United States or the next Congress. My hope is in Christ. And I learned this a long time ago. Because we travel and we go to wrestling events all over. We, we were with, I met Dory Funk Jr. this week, Hall of Fame legend Dory Funk. We travel all over to watch wrestling because we just love it as a family. And I learned something early about wrestlers. The good guys and the bad guys aren't really good guys and bad guys. It's just an act. They call them in the business faces and heels, uh, baby faces and heels. They don't hate each other. Do- Terry Funk used to call Dusty Rhodes, you, you dirty egg-sucking dog. And they used to argue with each other like they hated each other Thursday night, 7 o'clock at the Jacksonville Coliseum when I was coming up as a teenager. But I sat on the back wall at the Coliseum one time, and I saw Black Jack Mulligan and Dusty Rhodes get in the same truck and drive off together. And they were the biggest enemies they could possibly be at that time. And I realized something. They just putting on a show. Well, it didn't take me long watching politics to figure that either. You know, the the Republicans and the Democrats, they send their children to the same rich schools none of us can afford to send our kids to. Are y'all hearing me? Is this microphone? They drink the same expensive liquor you can't afford. They eat at the same restaurants together that we can't go to. These Republicans and Democrats, they want to talk about, listen, stop believing that one of these two parties or three or four parties is for the common man. Ain't no common men living in Washington. It's the most expensive place in the country. It's the wealthiest place in the country. And guess what every politician's main objective is? Re-election. 
I hear these people talking about, I'm for the common man. Man, come live on the west side of Jacksonville. Come live up in Middleburg and find out what common is and then go back to Washington and make some difference. But what, what am I telling you? Our nation is in trouble, and you can't count on politicians. Our nation needs the people of God to stand up and do what God has called us to do. People are broke, and we need help. Sin in the church is on the rise. People doing any kind of thing on Saturday, coming to church on Sunday, doing the same buckshot dance in church they were doing in the club. It's just not right. You say, well, it's always been that way. Ah, There's always been sin in the church. There's always been hypocrites in the church. Listen, don't let hypocrites in the church keep you out of church. You're going to go eat at a restaurant sometime this year. There's hypocrites in that restaurant. You're going to go sit by them anyway. You're going to go home sometime today. There's hypocrites in your house. You're still going to live there. Don't let hypocrites keep you away from anything. You don't, don't stop looking at yourself when you shave, dudes, because, you know, there's a hypocrite staring in the mirror, but you still got to shave. The Bible says we're all hypocrites at some level, but the hypocrisy inside the church has reached its highest level ever. There's more masquerading in church now. There are church leadership. Listen, and and the the Internet's not helping. I mean, it's just blast, putting everybody out on blast. I told y'all months before it happened that there was going to be an exposing of pastors and their evil uh, ways, their two-faced back alley ways, and then all these dudes got caught on Ashley Madison. Y'all remember that? The affair, life short, have an affair. That's, That's their motto. And all these pastors were on there with their... Pastor Ken at BellSouth.net. I'm like, if you're that low and conniving, if you're that schemy and greasy, you should have used somebody else. Get a fake email. Get you a Gmail. I don't trust nobody with Gmail. I'm just telling you. It's just too, too free and too easy, but that's a different subject. The church needs more holiness. Can you agree with that? Amen. We started a new year, and we need God to bless our lives in 2016. We need God to bless our church in 2016. We need God to bless our children in 2016. And we're going to have to do more. Say do more. more. We need favor with God. We need to make this year count for the Lord. Listen to verse 13. Don't tear your clothing in your grief. Tear your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He's not easily angered. He's filled with kindness and is eager not to punish you. This verse is long, and man, it is deep. With truth. But he says in the beginning, don't tear your clothing in your grief. That was the way they did it back then. When people would get offended, they would just rip their clothes and act all offended. When when people wanted to show some type of mourning, they would tear their clothes. But God came along and said, Look, stop doing stuff on the outside, start doing something on the inside. You can come to church every time the doors open, but if you're not real on the inside, it's not gonna help you. You, you, can, you can carry your Bible everywhere you go, but if you're not really taking it on the inside, it's not going to help you. God is more concerned on the inside. The Scripture says for itself, man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. People can watch all of us who came into this church today and think, oh, wow, they're all good people. They all went to church. Well, maybe, I hope so, but God sees what's going on in the inside. And he said it's time to stop being so outward-focused and get inward-focused. Return to the Lord your God. This is a message for believers. If you've ever known God at all, it's time to get back with God. Why? Because he's gracious and merciful. I want you to see those two words on the screen. God is gracious and merciful. I've had so many people say that they're glad that they live in the New Testament versus the Old Testament because the Old Testament God was about wrath and the New Testament God is about Mercy. That's not true. God is the same, and he's always been gracious, and he's always been merciful. Not only that, it says he's not easily angered. 
He's filled with kindness. And look at the last part. This is the best news I can give you. He is eager not to punish you. God does not want to punish us. God does not. He's not eager. He wants to give us time to work it out. But listen, every dad has so much patience. Every dad has so much rope he's going to give a child. God is our heavenly father, and he loves his children. And he, he's not easily angered, but he can be angered. He, he, he's, he's, not, he's not eager to punish us, but he can punish us. I'm going to say it to you the way I've said it in times past. Get right before it hits the fan. Go ahead and get right with God. Stop doing what you're doing while God is still smiling on you. Don't wait till you hit rock bottom. It's so sad in my job as a pastor. I counsel so many people because when they hit rock bottom, they, they, you know, they can't pay the psychologist to talk to them, so they come talk to me for free. And I wonder every time, why did you have to ride that to the bottom before you looked up? Why did you have to bottom out before you called on God? Why did you have to let your life spiral so far out of control before you decided to come and get some help? I want to beg you, encourage you, urge you today. Whatever you're doing that is going to wreck your train, fix it now. Don't drive that into the second week of 2016. Don't drive that bad train into the fourth day of January. Get with God now. Why? Because he's gracious, he's merciful, he's good to us, he loves us, he does not want to punish us, but he will if he has to. And you ought to let 2016 be a year of blessing for you. You ought to let 2016 be a year of freedom for you. You ought to let 2016 be a year of answered prayer for you. Not the same old, same old. I hope there's somebody in this church that is ready for better than they've had in the past. Ready for more than they've had in the past. Ready for more God than they've had in the past. You got to do something on the inside. You got to remember how good God is and you got to get back to loving him. Verse 14 says, who knows? question mark. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole book of Joel. It's, he said, who knows? Perhaps. Say perhaps. Perhaps is not definitive. Perhaps is who knows. Perhaps is maybe it will and maybe it won't. But check out this maybe. Perhaps even yet he, that should be capitalized H, is talking about God. Even yet he will give you a reprieve, comma. Here's the deal. God says, turn with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Get your heart fully connected to God and maybe he'll give you a reprieve. Now listen, if I pulled out a quarter right now and said, if, if, it, lands on, if it lands on heads and you pick heads, I'll give you $100. If it lands on tails, we just call it even. Is, is that a game worth playing, Deacon Jimmy? Jason, you play that game? Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Maybe you come up heads, you get the 100 bucks. Maybe it won't. But it's worth taking a risk on that. For, for there's no, Listen, it's worth taking a risk on getting right with God on a perhaps based on everything he says. He said, perhaps he will give you a reprieve. Listen to what that Hebrew word reprieve means. Put that on the screen for me, guys. I know it's in my notes somewhere. To bring relief from a difficult time. God said, if you'll turn to me with fasting, weeping, and mourning, maybe I'll give you a reprieve. What's he talking about? Would anybody like relief from a difficult time? I want to tell you something. We're in a difficult time in America. If you're all that in a bag of chips, if you just got it going on like Donkey Kong, if your life couldn't be any better, listen, start, start helping somebody else. Just, just rub that greatness off on me and, and let, let me catch up to where you are because life's hard and we need some relief 
from a difficult time. But not only that, the same Hebrew word also means to cancel punishment. Listen, I know as a child whose mother, hey, I'm going to tell you what, my mom didn't believe in spanking. She believed in beating. She was old school. I'm talking about from the top of the head down to the ankles, um, screaming and hollering, shut up, shut up, i give you something to cry about. I'm thinking, them last 39 hits with that baseball bat wasn't enough? But I, I was a kid that grew up hoping that punishment would get canceled. I can remember so many times getting in trouble in school, getting suspended from school. My mom would have to come pick me up. And I knew what was going to happen when I got home because she didn't like having to take off work to come get me again, either out of school or out of jail. And every time she'd come, I had my same routine. I thought, you know, if I could just win her over on the drive home, it wouldn't be as vicious. If I could win her over on the drive home, it, it, the punishment wouldn't be as bad. So I'd start talking to her, asking her a bunch of questions. And, you know, she was a nurse, so I'd try to get her talking about her job because it felt like she liked her job more than she liked me at the time. And she finally looked at me one day on her drive home. She said, son, it don't matter how many questions you ask me. It don't matter how many times you smile in my car. I am going to beat your butt when we get home. And all I wanted was some canceled punishment. I just wanted somebody to come. Please, God, cancel this out. Listen, God wants to cancel any punishment that is coming your way. Now, I've heard people say that you reap what you sow. That's true. You plant apple seeds, you grow apples. But I've heard some preachers that preach on fear and hate say that God doesn't have any crop failure. If you sowed bad stuff, you're going to reap bad stuff. Listen, I come to testify to you today. We serve a merciful God that don't always give you all the stuff back that you gave to him. God will cancel some punishment. Listen, some of y'all know y'all sowed some bad stuff in 2015. You know you did some stuff you shouldn't have done. Don't let that crop come through. You better get you a reprieve right now before those weeds start growing up in your garden. You better get a reprieve right now, some canceled punishment to help 2016 be better than what it could have been. I'm excited that God is filled with kindness. I'm excited that he's not eager to punish. I'm excited that if we do what he wants us to do, we might get a reprieve. Put verse 14 back on the screen for me. He said, perhaps he'll give you a reprieve. He'll cancel your punishment. He'll help you out in difficulty. How? By sending you a blessing instead of this terrible curse. Contextually, I told you, the people of God are in a mess in this time, thousands of years ago. They're in the middle of reaping what they've sown. They're in the middle of hardship because they've been living wrong for a long time. And so God says, you know what? You do right. Maybe I'll let you off the hook. <laughs> That's worth doing right for. If the judge says, if you go to court, and some of y'all ain't been to, I don't even want to have everybody raise their hand that's been to court, but I've been to court. I stood in front of the judge, always was humble, always contrite, always throwing myself on the mercy. Listen, if the judge, if you're standing before the judge and you know you're guilty, and he says, if you would just say, I did it and I'm sorry, I'll let you off for all charges. How many people want to, I'm just like, I did it. Yes, sir, I, please, I'm guilty. I'm as guilty as I can be. Please let me go. Listen, God is saying, if you will just do what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to send you a blessing instead of this terrible curse. Now, when, the judge, when you're looking at five to ten years, and you know that's a terrible curse, and the judge says, if you just admit you did it, I, I will give you freedom instead of this terrible curse, everybody in their right mind would do whatever the judge told them to do at that time. Listen, 
I'm not talking about a circuit judge. I'm not talking about a county judge. I'm not talking about a, any, any judge in the system of this world. I'm talking about the king of kings, the judge of all judges. God is saying, if you will come to me with fasting, weeping, and mourning, I might give you a blessing instead of this terrible curse. That's a perhaps I'm interested in. He went on to say, perhaps he will give you so much that you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. These people had lived in great blessing, and then they did what most Christians do. When things are going good, people forget about the Lord. When things go bad, they come back to church. Listen, hard times, church membership goes up. Prosperous times, church membership goes down. People struggling, they will come show up at the church. Why? So they, they hope they can get the help they need. That's okay, keep coming. But these people were no different than us. They had lived in excess but now because they had forgot about God, they had sown bad, they had sinned, now they're under this ch- chastisement of God. And he says, maybe if you do this fast, maybe he'll give you so much stuff that you'll be able to give to God the way you used to give to God. Uh, grain and wine here are not just, we don't want grain. I don't want nobody showing up at my house dropping 300 pounds of grain in my driveway. What am I going to do with it? Don't, don't bring no wheat, no corn, nothing to my driveway and drop that off. But if you want to come drop by a big, big wad of cash, a whole big bucket of money, I'll be there to meet you with it. This talking about finances, this talking about stuff that you can use to help your life. God is trying to put us in a position of prosperity, but we have responsibility. We've got to do our part. And he said, maybe if you just do your part, maybe God will give you so much that you'll have as much as people used to offer to the Lord. Verse 15 says this, blow the trumpet in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. This is what we're doing. Starting the 10th, I'm blowing a trumpet, right? I just sound an alarm. Let people know. Put the signal out there. Announce a time of fasting. Here's the time of fasting. January 10th through January 31st, in this building from 7 to 8 o'clock. You ought to come. Why? Because perhaps life could get better. Stay home. I guarantee you. Keep doing what you've been doing. Nothing good's going to happen for you. Nothing's going to change. But perhaps if you show up from the 10th to the 31st as much as you can, perhaps God will give you more grain and more wine. That ought to hit every alcoholic in the room. Come on, somebody ought to say amen. Perhaps God will give you what you need to have the best 2016 you can have. I'm blowing the trumpet. I'm sounding the alarm. I'm announcing a time. God said, call the people together for a solemn meeting. We're going to have that meeting from 7 to 8 o'clock, and I want you to be here. Verse 16 says, bring everyone The elders, the children, even the babies call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. These are indicative of groups of people that didn't normally come into the church meeting. They didn't normally show up. Listen, it might not be your practice to come to midweek Bible study, but you ought to start coming through this fast. You ought to come as much as you can. God is calling for everybody to come. Verse 17 says, The priests who minister in the Lord's presence will stand between the people and the altar weeping. And this is what they'll say, let them pray, spare your people, Lord. I am going to be here the same way I'm asking you to be. Every day, every night I can be here during the 21 days, I'm going to be here. And I'm going to be begging God to spare the people. 
I'm going to be up front leading in prayer, asking God to spare your life, to spare your family's life, to bless you the way you want to be blessed. It's the minister's job to lay between the porch and the altar and ask God for the blessing on the people and to say they belong to you, so don't let them become an object of mockery. Don't let their name become a proverb of unbelieving foreigners who say, where is the God of Israel? He must be helpless. They understood back then that if the people of God were struggling, that it made God look bad. That if the people of God were down and out, it may, listen, if you are going on your job wearing Christian t-shirts, got a Christian bumper sticker, listening to Christian music all the time, but you're all drugged up and drunk coming to work on Monday from staying out too late on Sunday, you got people laughing at you. If you're talking about Jesus, but you're the biggest hoe in your office at your school you got people laughing at you and they're saying don't let the people live so shabby that it makes God look bad I want you to know this church any church every church in America right now is living below the standard we need to live at God deserves more than what we're giving him we're not representing him at his highest level. How, how, how can I be so sure of that? If we were representing God at the level he deserves to be represented, news cameras from Korea would be here. If we were representing God in this community at the highest level he deserves to be represented, news cameras from Israel would be here wondering what it got into a group of people. Listen, we need to represent God in a way that shines on him. The reason why a lot of people won't come to church, because they've been to church. They didn't like what they saw. Why didn't they like what they saw? Because God wasn't being represented properly. People weren't loving them the way they should. You realize if we would just love people the way God commanded us to love people, people wouldn't feel uncomfortable and awkward coming to church. They have seminars about how to make visitors comfortable in church. I'm thinking, what do you need to be making? What's so awkward? I've been coming to church so long, it's not awkward for me. Now, you know, if, if I went into a drug house and everybody had Uzi strapped up and was staring at me, well, then, you know, y'all need a manual on how to make me feel comfortable in that joint. But there's conferences teaching churches how to make visitors comfortable. Why are visitors uncomfortable? Because we're not treating them right. We're not greeting them right. We're not loving them. They, they know that they're getting judged and criticized. And I want to tell you something, Abundant Life, we are not going to judge and criticize people. I've already told you many times in the past, don't ever come to me and say, oh, Pastor, did you know so-and-so still drinks? Did you know so-and-so still smokes? Did you know so Listen, do you know you're still a gossip? Do you know you're not perfect either? Listen, nobody perfect but the Lord. And we need to start representing the Lord and not just our view of religion. Because I want to tell you something. I've been studying religion longer than anybody in this room. I, I, I got more degrees in theology than anybody in this room, and I don't have this much of it figured out. If you think you got more than this much of it figured out, you need this much humility. We don't, none of us know everything there is to know. So stop giving our view of religion, and let's just start loving God and loving people. Can we do that? God would be more pleased if we would do that. Verse 18 says, then the Lord will pity his people. And be indignant for the honor of his land. I'm so excited. See, pity don't sound good. People are like, don't pity me. Well, proud people don't want to be pitied. But if I can get the kind of pity this Hebrew word pity is talking about from the Lord, I'll be excited to have it. The word pity here means massive compassion. God God is saying then. When is then? After. Say after. Then is always after. Then. 
then, then, when, after, after what? After you've done all the things those previous verses said to do. After you come fasting, weeping, and mourning. After you get your heart right. After you get all in. After you really start following God. Then the Lord will have massive compassion for his people. The sad reality is, I've had people tell me, I don't think God loves me. Listen, you're not understanding right. You're listening to the wrong voices. God's already proved his love to us when he sent Jesus to the cross to die for us. God loves you in a greater way than you can know. And if you will just hang in there, if you will just get involved in this fast, if you will just give your life wholeheartedly to Christ, God wants to pour out massive compassion on you. Not only that, he says, but he will be indignant. That word indignant in the Hebrew means provoked into action for the honor of his land. Now, when I read this, I get a picture in my mind of a dad. All right, we'll use Deacon Jimmy because he's on the front row. Deacon Jimmy got a house full, of, well, the house full ain't full of boys anymore, but he's had a bunch. And they all grew up when Deacon Jimmy was younger and semi-pro athlete, traveling around the world playing sports, and they, they knew their dad, and hopefully they still think their dad's all that and that their dad is awesome. I can picture some group of people bigger, stronger, and meaner than one of Deacon Jimmy's kids, and he walks onto the playground, and he sees what all these boys are doing to his one little kid. You know what that's going to provoke a father to do? It's going to provoke a father to get involved. Would you get involved if nine bigger kids were beating up, nine eighth graders were beating up your third grader? That's time for dad to get involved. Do you hear me? God wants to get involved. God wants to be indignant over his people. That word means provoked into action. I believe, based on what this scripture says, if we would just begin to do these things, God is going to get provoked into getting involved in your life, taking action in your finances, in your relationships, and get, hey, people that are bothering you, let God handle them. I want God to pity me, give me massive compassion. I want God to get indignant for me, to get provoked into action. Verse 19 says, he will reply, look, I'm sending you grain, Wine and olive oil, that's stuff, that's finances, that's, that's goods that can be used to purchase. He said, enough to satisfy your needs, you will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. Look, some of y'all really love the Lord. I know that. Some of y'all really saved. I, I believe that. But you never walk in a financial blessing the way you would desire to. And your family sees you as not having all the stuff. We go around telling everybody, God wants to bless you. God, God wants to give you double for your trouble. God wants to lift you up and exalt you. But then when you're busted, disgusted, can't be trusted, what's your lost family supposed to think? Well, they, they don't want to serve that God. Listen, God's saying, look, I want to give you so much stuff that nobody can't mock you again. I want to give you so much stuff that everybody that knows you is going to know you have something special going on with God. I don't believe what Reverend Ike taught for theology, but I do love what he said. I can't use with what I lose. I can't, uh, no, I can't lose with what I use. The Christians of today need to be able to tell the whole world, I can't lose with what I use. I can't fall through the cracks counting on God. I can't, I can't just be de desperate and undone if I'm counting on God. You need God to get involved in your life, but it's going to take some fasting. It's going to take some weeping. It's going to take some mourning. Verse 20, he said, and listen, hear this for your life. This is good news. I, God speaking, will remove these armies from the north and send them far away. 
the people of God were under attack. Here's what I've learned in 52 years of living. If you breathe loud enough, somebody's going to be mad at you. If your heart beating in your chest, somebody's going to be mad at you. If, if, if you get around people enough, somebody you're going to have somebody that doesn't like you. Listen, God says, I will take your enemies away from you. He went on to say, I will drive them back into the parched wastelands. <laughs> Listen to this part. And I ain't going to try to tell too much of myself, but I do like these last three words uh, or last four words, where they will die. Where, where, is it? where they will die. I'm going to, God says, you start doing what I'm telling you to do. Not only am I going to get provoked to step in for you and fight your battle for you and drive your enemies away from you, but I'm going to shove them so far out into the corner of nothingness, they're going to die. Why, why would anybody be glad that their enemy died? Why? Because when your enemy dies, they can't mess with you no more. And I can't stand somebody who just keeps raising their head up, leave you alone for a little while. Raise their head back up, leave you alone for a little while. Raise their head back up, leave you alone for a little while. Listen, it's time for some enemies just to get lopped off and die and leave the church alone. And God says he'll do that. He said those in the rear will go into the Dead Sea. He, he wants to get rid of your enemies, but it takes something on our part. He said, those at the front will go into the Mediterranean. Listen to what he said about your enemies. The stench of their rotting bodies. Listen, God ain't always warm and fuzzy. Don't miss God. The Bible says his name is man of war. God knows how to take care of his enemies and his children's enemies. He said, the stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Now, look at the last ver sentence in this verse. Surely the Lord has done great things. Killed off all the enemies. The, the dead bodies are making a stench. And listen, I, I promise you, it's not hard when, when something like that's going on for, for people to sing, we got the victory, we got the victory. When, when all the enemies have been pushed back and dead, the church is getting beat up by the world. We shouldn't be getting kicked around by the world. God didn't put us here to get kicked around. God put us here to dominate. And I believe that if we would do what God wants us to do, we're going to see some great things. Surely the Lord has done great things. I want you to be able to say that for yourself. I don't want, to be able, I don't want you to have to say that for other people. I don't want you to have to talk about revivals from 100 years ago. I don't want you to have to talk about what God did for mom and them. I want you to be able to say God has done great things for me. And if you would do what God wants you to do, you're going to have a testimony where you can say that God has done great things. Verse 21, he said, don't be afraid, my people. Anytime you get serious for God, the devil wants you to be scared. Well, what am I going to have to give up? Well, what if I can't do it? Listen, don't be scared. Be glad now and rejoice because the Lord has done great things. He's saying it again because he wants you to believe that God has done great things for others. He can do great things for us. We're going to get into this fasting starting next week, and I want you to do it. Why are we going to fast? We're going to fast because we're supposed to. In Matthew 6, 16, Jesus said, moreover, when you fast, comma. He didn't say if you fast. He didn't say maybe if you decide. No, he said when you, it's expected. It's behavior that God expects. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to fast. Surely, I say to you, they have their reward. What's he saying? This ain't something to brag about on the outside. It's not even about what's happening on the outside. It's about what's happening on the inside. Look at verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Don't walk around telling everybody. If you decide to fast coffee, you know by about the second day your head's going to want to explode. 
Go ahead and try to get off caffeine, some, some, some of you Mountain Dew drinkers. Go ahead and try to go three days without that and tell me about that caffeine headache. I'm not telling you what I heard. But don't walk around telling everybody how, how you know, great you are because you've given up something for the Lord. Verse 18, he said, Don't appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. Listen to this last part. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We're going to fast for 21 days through the end of this month. And God is going to reward us openly. You get to decide if you want to be in on that. You get to decide if you want any of this reward or not. You get to decide if you want to have reward. It takes effort to get blessing. Too many people are sitting back wondering, when's my ship going to come in? Well, you don't see ships from, from the sunken living room staring at your new TV. You got to get out there near the water. You got to go look for something. You got to do something. Look at somebody and say, do something. You got to do something to get something. And I want you to get involved in this fast. Real quick, what is fasting? It comes from two words, eat and not. So to not eat. But I believe fasting can be more than just denying yourself of food. It can be denying yourself of anything your flesh wants. There are going to be people who fast TV for 21 days. There are going to be people who fast Internet, people who fast all different types of things. Why? Because God wants you to surrender something for him so you can spend more time praying, more time reading, more time thinking about him. There's all different types of fasts in the Bible. I'm not going to go through this. Come back tonight. I'll share the rest of this with you. I'm going to talk to you about how to fast what to fast, and what to expect because you fast. If you want to find out how to really walk into God's blessing, meet me back here at 6 o'clock tonight. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your goodness. God, I thank you that you are eager to forgive us, eager to bless us, not eager to punish us. God, I pray, Lord, that even as we've started this year off right by coming to church on first Sunday, Lord, I pray that it would set the tone for our entire year, that we would love you more than we ever have, that we would give more, that we would serve more, that we would bless and honor you more. God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Give us wisdom. Guide us. Teach us. Mold us and shape us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.